Made in the Trade, Classic G.I. Joe, Volume 2. And once again, we have Patrick Hawkins in the studio. Hey there, folks. How you doing? Thanks for having me back. Sure thing. Now, we've got the follow-up to the previous volume that we reviewed, which was, of course, Volume 1, which was issues 1 through 10 of the original series. Now we've got issues 11 through 20, uh, covering yet another 10 months of G.I. Joe folklore. And uh, what's what's your overall opinion of this collection? This is the years I, for lack of a better term, um, I would consider this to be G.I. Joe the second season, comic book-wise. Uh, from this point, I think Hama and G.I. Joe and Hasbro, to whatever extent uh, they were involved, all kind of glommed onto the same vibe and feel. And as we discussed in, our, in the previous episode, uh, there was a lot of potpourri episodes where they were kind of casting a very wide net, trying to find a theme. Uh, okay, well, what is this really about? Where are we gonna, going with this? What type of stories are we ready to tell? And I think they got it all in place, and uh, and this the this this run kind of encapsulates that because uh, it also too it, we start seeing the inclusion here and there of uh, the new characters and the vehicles, uh, which of course you know is at the behest of Hasbro, meaning okay these are the new toys we're rolling out, so make sure they're featured you know. I won't say prominently per se, but uh, certainly make sure that they were featured in, in some fashion. And <clears throat> Hama, of course, he had to juggle all this. And I don't, to this day, I don't think he really gets the credit he deserves by, you know, having a third party outside of his, his management tree, you know, dump a bunch of characters and uh, vehicles on him and saying, okay, you got to write the stories and they have to include these now, whether they make sense or not. And this, of course, was the early years, too, in the sense that this was long before G.I. Joe got really kids and primary colors and real science fiction-y and all the craziness. So uh, th- this is the, I think, I think this is the, the really, I think this is probably the G.I. Joe stories at their prime, at least as far as I do, in the sense of the good balance of really keeping in, in good characters, really keeping in characters of the bad guys, and really doing a good job of balancing everything in terms of, okay, <clears throat> this is a child, these are children's toys, but he's really trying to make these stories about as realistic as he can get away with. And I, I think I think he had a good balance. And so this is really yet another step in the evolution of the, uh, the line where originally in those first 10 issues, we had the very plain green uh, characters where also in the toy line as well, it was almost entirely a cookie cutter. You'd saw, you saw some variations where rock and roll had a blonde beard. Um, and then maybe another character or two would have that, uh, flak jacket. But for the most part, it was just largely the same characters. They, they were, a, they were a ground based, um, uh, infantry uh, response unit. And what we began to see right out of the gate in issue 11 is we start seeing the Joes that are specialized for uh, duty in specialized environments. So we, we start to see we see snow job, mm-hmm. and we start to see more of the uh, vehicle uh, and maintenance operators. We get introduced to uh, Wild Bill, Wild Bill, Cover Ace, Girl, eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We start we start to see all the, these characters come through, and and <clears throat> again. Uh, Hama was asked and tasked to uh, basically come up with the personalities for him. He wrote all the file cards, I think, up until mm-hmm. like just the last like few years of G.I. Joe. And you could definitely tell that uh, I think he had a lot of fun. And I loved reading those file cards. 
I swear to God, I was the, the first thing I saw a new J.I. Joe figure. I just snatched it up because I wanted to read the file cards first. Then I'd look, take a good look at the figure. This was what separated the early 80s, I think, from previous uh, toy lines, right? Mm-hmm. You had individual characters that you got to read up on uh, as a with a bio. Uh, uh, G.I. Joe had the file cards. Transformers had the tech specs. But they all had these little miniature bios printed on the packages that kids would just learn that not only their specialties, like what they were good at, but like their history. And I, I thought that was such an interesting thing that I always took away from these characters because whenever I'll show the, the casual fan... Uh, an old, whether it be a G.I. Joe or Transformers toy, they'll always say, if they're casual, if they'll always say, oh, I had that. I had that guy. And then that would be it. There would be nothing more to it. It wouldn't be, oh, I love that guy because he was, you know, he was the rough guy. He, or he was, you know, this personality or that personality. Whereas me being such a super fan, I would tell you, like, the history of just about any of these individuals as I could remember, you know. And uh, another curious thing, too, um, since inclusion and diversity is such a huge topic right now in, in the geek world, is that Hama um, did, a, I thought, a fantastic job of really uh, making this, like our military forces even today, making this very diverse. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, even the so-called, like, the Caucasian characters, I mean, they weren't all the... They weren't all the... <clears throat> The all-American fullback, you know, like 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 prom king, mm-hmm. you know, who joined the army and then became this Aryan Superman. They were very, they were raised differently. They come from different places, different outlooks. Uh, even if their figures facially, because they only had three molds up to that point, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they really had personalities, and he gave them personalities in the comics. Which, of course, you know, in the anime series, uh, you know, the producers of that just completely threw out the door. Um, <laughs> to this day, I th- I don't even think they actually even saw the toys. I think they just looked at the Sears catalog and was like, okay, we got it. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got lasers. Woo! <laughs> All right, so let's delve into issue number 11. It's uh, yet another Arctic story like issue two. Uh, but this time we've got an Arctic specialist. Snow Job is along for the ride. Uh, Wild Bill is flying them in on a helicopter, mm-hmm. which is not that original Dragonfly toy because I'm guessing that hasn't been created yet. Uh, but he would be packaged eventually with the dragonfly. I think he was told. He was probably told it was on the way. Uh-huh. Um, also, this uh, this comic had uh, the one of the animated cartoons and syndications. I mean, uh, it's a commercials. I should say. Yes. Okay. The- so there was. We may have mentioned in the previous podcast, but uh, there were actual aired commercials on television that would promote individual comic book issues, and this was one of them. And uh, the reason being is not only was it a comic book, but it was advertising the new uh, Snowcat and the hand glider that uh, debuted in this issue. It was a commercial for an infomercial, if you really thought about it. <laughs> but dubious, but it, was, it just got me excited. It was yeah. just like this way. And it led, you know, led to the disaster. And I just, I loved hearing the end on sale from Marvel Comics. I mean, I was like, I thought that was the beginning of. Every week, I would go to see these little mini animated things of like the the Hulk and the Avengers, right? And I just thought this, oh, this is gonna be so cool. Yeah, you because know? suddenly comic books became a legitimate medium. Because now you're um, you're you're justifying it. You're you're making it legitimate by introducing it with fellow TV series or movies, blockbuster movies you'd see on TV advertised as you do today. But it's a comic book. I mean, you certainly don't see comic books issues advertised 
anymore. Or, no, no, that was again. That was the toy money behind it and everything else. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, some someday, you know, I'm gonna somebody's gonna make a fan made uh, comic book ad for uh, US One. <laughs> <laughs> so US one trick it at you from Marvel Comics. So it's kind of funny that this issue introduces the hang glider um where I remember even as a child I was like don't they have planes why do they have hang gliders and realizing now as an adult oh yeah they're kind of going on what worked in the past which were hang gliders and paratroopers on the old green army men that mm-hmm. would that would sell toys and so like how do we justify uh, hang gliders in this new toy line, well, we'll just make them an actual vehicle for the team. Well, and again, to Hama's credit, he made it work. Mm-hmm. He really did the plot around it. There's a, there's a scene where, you know, the, hey, well, Bill, we need some air support. I don't have time. I have to get to the next plot point, you know, mm-hmm. and there's a good reason for it. So, but hey, I'll drop off some mobile L support for you. And the idea of a helicopter having a guy strapped into an expandable hang glider for emergency air support, I thought was just completely badass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and sure enough, you know, and that's the first appearance of Airborne. And, yes. Uh, also, speaking of diversity, Airborne was a Native American character. Yes, because somebody asked, like, like, your name is Talltree? Is that Indian? No, it's Native American, you know? <laughs> and honestly, that was like, the first time I saw anybody kind of use that, that line, which, you know, as I grew older as an adult, I began to see many, many times before. Mm-hmm. Uh, curiously enough, that I, I owe Larry Hama and this episode credit for when I met a Native American, not to refer to them as an Indian. There you go. Because I didn't, I didn't want to get, you know, it's like slapped down like Airborne does. Mm-hmm. So again, we've got these colorful characters um, being introduced. Gung Ho is introduced here. Uh, we mentioned Wild Bill. Wild Bill shows a propensity for his uh, cowboy style uh, because he packs a revolver and uh, he kind of shows off his quick draw skills in this issue. He very much is drawn like Lee Van Cleef, I thought. Okay. Uh, which, again, became... What is he known for? Uh, Lee Van Cleef was uh, known for the spaghetti westerns, uh, a lot of that stuff. And I, I tell everybody, if you look up Lee Van Cleef from, you know, like The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, or the Sabata films, it's I think the, uh, the artist definitely based him on that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> There's nothing wrong with that, but later on, of course, he would sort of turn into more of a... Um, uh, more of a Robert Redford with a rhinestone cowboy mustache with sunglasses, mm-hmm. <laughs> and when his, his action figure, then his later depictions. Yeah, but uh, we also get, saw Doc, and Doc yeah. actually, I didn't appreciate it back then, but I, I again, th- this was this was the kind of the integrity that Larry Hama thought kind of brought to it too. Was okay, Doc is a team medic. Yes, and just because this is technically a covert team and everything else, he is still adhering to the rules of the Geneva Convention. Right. He is a non-combatant. Yes. He says, mentions it too. It's like I'm not allowed to use guns, but you know, I, I can throw a snowball. Or right. I can do this, so I can attack physicality or whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, he's a, he's a really really becomes a great character, and um, he, and in a lot of ways, he kind of becomes the hero at the end. He really shines in this issue. And still in the early '80s, coming off of the uh, black exploitation uh, imagery you saw in the '70s, uh, where an African American character is given the bio of being a Harvard Medical School graduate, and he's actually the only officer with a commission in this uh, story. So he's got the rank of captain, according to his file card. 
Um, doesn't really pull, pull rank, but I mean, because... Wild Bill technically would be an officer, too. Well, Wild Bill, I believe, is a warrant officer, which Ooh, is different you know, than a commissioned officer. You're probably correct. You are Thank right. you. Thank you, are correct. The man knows his file cards. <coughs> Damn Thank you. straight. I um, corrected. But, uh, but in any case, Doc never pulls his rank, n- neither in the cartoon or in the comic book, but they needed to give him that commission because he is a college graduate. He wouldn't be an enlisted member uh, of G.I. Joe. But um, hats off to Larry Hama for giving an African-American a very well-educated background, I thought. And uh, I think in the command structure of G.I. Joe, uh, I'm pretty sure all the ranks were kind of thrown out. It was yeah, just, pretty it was, much. It was, uh, it, was, it, was, it was General Flag, it was Hawk, and then it was wherever he would designate as the field leader. Sometimes Scarlet, sometimes Stalker. Um, until, until Mr. Mr. Per, Mr. Wannabe, you know, it's like, um, uh, Captain America shows up, uh, in, in the parade after this one. So <laughs> we'll, we'll leave Duke at that. Cause mm-hmm. I got, I got some problems with that guy. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he's not even in this trade. We also, uh, but we also see the silhouette of Destro. Yes. This is the first appearance the first of Destro, Destro. We, which, and it's kind of cool because, uh, he's he's introduced as uh, he, like cover commander says this man will be my field commander you know and he will you know take apply my orders and right away there's an implied that there's a relationship uh, pre-f's history between Destro and the Baroness and mm-hmm. the Baroness even says like what you know each other oh tut tut commander I thought you knew everything and, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but we never see him we see him from about the waist down we see his what i think at the time was intended to be absolutely bionic mechanical hands okay much later on it was no they're like gauntlets and he had real hands right. underneath them and stuff i want to say even in the uh animated series very early on there's a scene where he goes through some security checkpoint and then it scans his hands and i think mm-hmm. you see the little gigaws and stuff inside his fingers mm. But again, it goes back and forth, um, and I thought he was cool. I mean, <laughs> right away, oh, yeah. I was like, I don't know who this guy is, but he's got bionic hands, and he's got, like, grenades and little yeah. tiny, like, like RPGs, <laughs> yeah. and this, and he kind of takes things on to his own. Mm-hmm. And then there's a, a strange quirk uh, later on in the issue, you know, he, he shoots, one of the, shoots one of the vehicles, okay, done, shoots a second one, and a dud. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is this coming from the guy who like owns Mars Industries. Who this probably, is a, a military uh, distributor. Yeah. Who probably built his uh, made his own craft, his own specifications, and mm-hmm. yeah, to this day, uh, my own head cannon. I was uh, there's a story <laughs> where he goes back and finds where it was on the assembly line and shoots him or something crazy. Last like that. a dud. Yeah, it's a bit like eh, it's again. It's. It's a comic book machina. I'll, I, 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 can, I can absolutely let it slide. Well, you know, uh, when you build, that's why you don't normally build rockets that small. They're, true. They're subject to, to problems. Yeah, true. But this is, a, this is really a dense issue. There's mm-hmm. a lot going on. There's a lot of characters. There's a good amount of plot. There's mm-hmm. a lot of layers involving both plutonium and, and, and a possible virus. And the, the virus thing comes up a lot throughout this whole run. Yep. And... Uh, there's only one quirk that always used to just drive me crazy. Uh, later on in the book, when they think the woman exposed to a virus, uh, you know, Hawk says, like, yeah, well, you're not wearing CBR gear like our uh, our reinforcements. But if you look at the background, there's nobody wearing anything that looks like us, like CBR gear or a scuba mask or mm-hmm. anything that would protect them from it. They're just usual grunts. So I think that was a 
I think that was a misnomer. But oh. on the whole, this still remains one of my one of my favorite issues. It mm-hmm. is it is largely self contained. Yep. It ends on the goofy. Yeah, everybody's kind of laughing and ha ha ha. But mm-hmm. uh, it's it's good. It's entertaining, and uh, it's about one of the best examples of a GI Joe comic for its time. Issue 12. Three strikes for Snake Eyes. Yeah. Nice thing on the cover there. It's um, a, a, a riverboat you would see in, in Vietnam, I, if I recall. Something that affects that smokestack coming out of the top there. Something to, to that effect. Yeah, this is, a, this is another one of those going undercover uh, type ones. Uh, the plot early on uh, leads to a clue to send them off. Although there's some kind of interesting stuff. There's... Right away, you know, it's like Larry Hama was played in a uh, played on a, a, a proto thrash band. It's like a hard rock band oh. in the late seventies, early eighties. So that's why I think the opening panels you got this punk rocker dude mm-hmm. and on the radio. They're talking about the plasmatics and they mention Wendy O. Williams and uh, and of course his car gets trashed. And he's like, "Oh wow, that's radical! What a great act!" <laughs> And the funny thing is, he's driving a car that I think is way out of his price range. So <laughs> I, I I never quite got into that. And then there's another thing that right in the next page is something else that happens too. Hama really likes showing, uh, I guess, middle America or typical Americans. He's got a thing for like older middle-aged uh, uh, couples kvetching and always stumbling across the G.I. Joe and Cobra shenanigans and right. never really quite realizing their lives are in danger until it's a little too late. And uh, th- there's a scene like that. So it's, it's, it's two gags. And we're introduced, or we're visually introduced to the character of Scarface, who has scars along both of his eyes, and that's mm-hmm. really the only way you can tell him apart from a standard Cobra dude. It's a brilliant way of, well, in, in some respects, selling more uh, Cobra figures that are nondescript in the first place. But now you're giving uh, an individuality to a Cobra-dressed uh, character. But they never made a figure of him until I think the double lots. Right. And and <laughs> with, you know, very subtle detail to even make him a character. Yeah. You know, just little lines on his eyes. But uh, you knew kids were buying those Cobra. F- like, this one's Scarface, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Take a little <laughs> magic marker. Go, right. Make my own Scarface. Mm-hmm. There we go. And, and some bikers are beating up uh, Joe. And then, you know. Uh, Scarlet like shoots one of the guy's earrings off, you know, which I think is like a it's a quick quick panel to show just how good she is, and and then lots of, in the first twenty issues there were lots of scenes where just uh, Hawk and General Flag were just like talking over computer screens, and again exposition about all right, well let's let's send a team down and have them check it out. So mm-hmm. that team is Breaker, because it involves electronics, uh, Stalker, who, as usual, is the field commander, mm-hmm. Snake Eyes, and Gung Ho, which is a... I'd say all around, that's a good That's a good team. Right, yeah. <laughs> that's definitely a good team. They're ready for about anything. Mm-hmm. And we come across our old Eskimo friend, Quinn. Before that, we come across our old enemy, Dr. Venom. Yes. Yeah, the man Do- who scanned uh, Snake Eyes' brain. That's for right. Yeah, we first encountered like, Dr. Venom, who's still around, still kicking, uh, an original creation by uh, Larry Hama. And then immediately after, yes, we see Quinn the Eskimo, uh, another original creation for the series by Larry Hama. Eventually, they got, well, I should say, I know Quinn eventually got a, his own figure because I've got it sitting at home. Uh, I'm not sure if Venom I've got one in uh, in, in a view. In yeah, that, that package right there. Yes, I don't know if Venom ever got a. He formal did figure. actually. Um, I saw him at a Joe Con 
maybe within the last decade. Okay. Um, but yes, he's got the lab coat and everything, but uh, also, yet again, a, a, a recent uh, creation. Like, certainly nowhere near when this comic book came out. Mm-hmm. So uh, Venom uh, takes revenge against Snake Eyes, remembers him, he beats the crap out of him with a pistol butt, uh, pistol whips him pretty good to the point where, oh my god, Snake Eyes is dead. Hmm. Or is he? <laughs> Question mark. As they're going, leave him for dead, and then they go away, and then... Well, what was it? They um, they, they checked his heartbeat, and then he remembers something that he scanned in his brain, because... He, he remembers, oh, wait, he's done this to me before. He's used his ninja, you know, heart-stopping skills. And uh, I was like, oh, I, I do like what he... Like, that insufferable enigma, he lives. Mm-hmm. I really like that. I, I really like that, that appellation for Snake Eyes, the insufferable enigma. And uh, also, too, we, we get further in inference about just how messed up Snake Eyes' unmasked face is supposed to be. He's trapped in the building, building, he runs on out, and the villagers there are, like, scared crapless when they see him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, not that it's a man on fire. <laughs> yeah, but just... <laughs> it's just they don't want to see his face. But how he looks and, and what's going on, and he kind of just claws himself out of the water as the rest of the team are captured and, uh, you know, being taken over. And a lot of this is exposition, but a lot of this sets... This this story right here sets up uh, a pretty much almost uh, an arc that will last mm-hmm. throughout this rest of this entire trade yes. involving Dr. Venom, involving a, uh, a customized virus, and involving one of Cobra Commander's plans within a plan within a plan yes. to basically find G.I. Joe headquarters, and which, again... It's a very comic booky conceit. Uh, it's like people wanting to find the Batcave and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I'm like, why just... If you get rid of G.I. Joe, won't they just get more G.I. Joes? You know, it's not like... If you take out the Justice League, yes, the Justice League is gone. You know, if you kill Superman, yes, Superman is dead. But a military organization, the whole point of which is, is that, well, these everybody's replaceable after after a period of training, mm-hmm. theoretically. Um, good stuff with, with Gung Ho. Uh, throughout this whole run... Gung Ho is sort of the, the tank character. He's the big bad bruiser. And this was a role that he had pretty much until like in the next trade when they introduced uh, Roadblock. Right. He, <laughs> once Roadblock showed up, Gung Ho kind of ceased to exist. Yeah. Which well, I thought was a damn crime. In, in many ways, uh, when Gung Ho shows up, Rock and Roll ceased to exist. Pretty much. Rock and Roll was actually supposed to be, supposed to be buff. He was a weightlifter. And mm-hmm. again, too, he, had, he was the heavy machine gunner. Although rock and roll, I, I I always thought that Hama has a soft spot for rock and roll because he always he he always found a way to like work him in, and again, man, he was the surfer dude, and mm-hmm. uh, he, he was he, in a lot of ways too. He was like also a, a moral voice as well, which I kind of liked. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, Snake Eyes, you know, freeze the helps for the guys freeze, but then he in a badass that he is says, "Nope, stay on the mission." He points them like, "You guys go, I'll stay, I'll take care of this." So a half burned for the second time snake eyes is crawling his way to this pillbox where the villains are you know talking and then talking virus and everything else and then quinn is like wait a minute you know he's outside and and then uh and then so quinn is a hired hand for cobra in this issue right yes quinn the eskimo uh again we saw him in issue two and he's definitely a there's a neutral third party he's just a little bit and I don't know if Hama even knew the existence of Golgo 13, but I, I, I think I'd like to ask him that point blank because he, he has this, 
He's a mercenary, and he follows his contracts to the absolute letter. Once he gives his word, he will stick to it no matter what, even if it hurts him, as we'll find out at the end, uh, unfortunately. But uh, he's kind of like, he doesn't like Dr. Venom, and but there's a there's a, definitely a strange uh, spinoff between um, Venom and Quinn and Snake Eyes. And as the Baroness escapes, she's going to fly by, she's going to take it out, she's like, all right, we've... We've dealt with uh, Dr. Venom and uh, and time to get rid of Quinn, too, and all the other loose ends. And all this is going on, Snake Snake Eyes is really... I thought those whole thing is he really has a legitimate, like, like, like hate on for Venom. Not that I bl- would blame him, per right. se. <clears throat> so Venom has tortured him, but I think most of all, because Snake Eyes is ultimately a private, secretive individual... I think having his brain scanned by Venom like really touched him on a personal level. Yes, because he, I, and I think half the reason he told the guys, uh, "Yeah, go on, take care of this," was I think he really just wanted to kick the crap to with Venom, and he does. He just starts beating the crap out of him, and, and Quinn's like, "Well, it's not my business anymore." So my uh, constant build, and also we see this great silhouette of Snake Eyes with his mask off, and when he first saw this as a kid, yeah, it was all. Scary, and the coloring here doesn't do it justice, but you really do get the idea that he is really repulsive and really messed up, and uh, you don't even know why at that point. You don't know it was burned or or acid and and whatnot. So, and then of course, you know, <laughs> the the island itself gets boomed, and uh, oh wow, all three of them are dead. In issue 13. Indeed. And one little uh, curious point. The very last panel of the book is, uh, you know, you know the, the surviving team members, they see what happened, you know, and Breaker is like, wow, Snake Eyes really, you know, really, really gone this time, and Gung Ho's pissed. And then Stalker is like, he looks really remorseful. Like, his, his head is down. It looks like he's bawling there. On, almost. On that piece al- of flotsam. Almost. And, um, you know, you get the idea that, you know, later on we knew that they go way back. Uh, but then, curiously enough, in issue 13, the last plane from Rio Lindo, he's kind of... It's, it's almost like a second delay. Like, he took a second, mourned, and then sucked it back up, and then it became the cold fish that he is. He's mm. like, all right, well, the thing's... Blown. Yeah, so what? The whole thing's gone. We vaporized. We got to keep going on mission. And this is one thing that... Again, another uh, another facet of, of Stalker's personality in that he could really be a cold bastard. You know, I don't think he necessarily was, but he was definitely on point with the missions, and he... He was, he, he was focused. Absolutely. Absolutely focused, and uh, he just didn't do this with. And uh, there's a great line from the Baroness when her and us, or there she's still flying up above. Scarface is like, "Hey, should we, uh, you know, like like zip around again?" And she was just like, "Yeah, that's a pretty good idea." Doctor Venom, you know, the outlet was usefulness. Quinn was too unpredictable, and the Baroness was like, "And Snake Eyes was someone you wouldn't want to have met on equal terms." <laughs> That's a very badass, especially for the Baroness of all people, where right. everybody was just a bunch of like fifth columnists and capitalist pigs and and everything else. For her to give that much deference to a member of the GI Joe, it was it was definitely okay. She's read his file. She knows a little bit about him. She knows. Yeah, we she took. She would him. never admit that anyone is her equal. Yes, and uh, the fact to let that go it was pretty good. And then, and then uh, Stalker kills a a crocodile. A Don't call it a gator. Cro- no. Again, showing off a uh, callback to uh, issue two, 
where we found out that, uh, you know, in his time off, he likes to go uh, hunting, but he goes photography hunting. Right. And uh, so he is kind of a naturalist, which is interesting, too, considering he was, according to his file card, he was the warlord of an inner city, like, gang. And Mm. yeah, yeah. So he's he's an inner city ghetto uh, sort of guy. And I, I love this this character arc of his where. Yeah, he joined the army to uh, to get himself straight, and then excelled at it, and then eventually just learned to love the outdoors, become a ranger, the complete opposite of him, and a naturalist. And even though he kills the gator, you know he's going off about all the scientific names and all that fun stuff. So it's... <laughs> he, he definitely appreciates the uh, scientific category. He appreciates nature, and then kills it. Kills it. A little little cameo by uh, Mexican Laurel and Hardy here. Yeah, I noticed that. That was, again, uh, I think that was just, you know, Larry Hama just having fun. And, you know, can't blame him for that. Uh, I'm not quite sure. I, I had no idea that a, a U.S. Marine Corps Zippo lighter was worth a hat and a serape. But uh, hmm. if I ever send myself in South America, I'll try trading it for that. Hmm. And uh, <clears throat> another little neat panel, too, that I liked, which is I thought was, again, small little tick. But I thought very good about character was just shows Cobra headquarters and the big room with the urns and the flames and the pageantry. And they're all said, all hail, mighty Cobra. And Kirk Rander's just like, all hail. And then he gets on to business. <laughs> and he's just like, yeah, 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 all hail. Okay, you know, it's, oh, Baroness, let's do this, let's do that. And uh, yeah, and then we see again, we see uh, Destro again. This time we're getting a little more of him. We're getting him from the neck down. So we don't know what's quite going on to him, although all we do know that we saw him in silhouette, and, ooh, he's bald, like uh, Presser X or somebody like that, or Lex Luthor. Mm -hmm. Uh, The boys are uh, building up, and there's a crazy subplot in this involving another third party. Uh, This adventure takes place in an unnamed uh, third world uh, junta that's, that's, that's going belly up. So you've got these mercenaries that are just kind of looking for uh, an easy score, and they're like, oh, wow, there's that old Cobra base there where we're looking at. Hey, maybe we can go around there and poke around. Meanwhile, <clears throat> Gung-Ho goes to town, kicks some ass, and, uh, you know, in the name of American imperialism. <laughs> hmm. But he gets a message out, you know, and and, uh, and Hawk, like, gets the team going on, and they get a strike force, and, okay, you know, Doc, and uh, this is the fir- I believe this is the first time we meet Torpedo. Okay, yeah. And uh, Torpedo's on the team, and they're all pulled out. And this is also the time when... The first time we have a Navy SEAL on the team. Yes. Yeah, as a a frogman. And that that there's something really weird, and two issues later I'll go into. But, uh, yeah, they they get good to go. And Scarlet um, asks Hawk, hey, uh, you mentioned we're going up to three, but there were four on the team. You didn't mention Snake Eyes. And there's a great panel when he just says, "Uh, get in the plane. I'll explain it to you while we're en route. And there's a great expression on her. She's like, uh-oh. Mm. She's just, okay, okay, he's gone. And she, and she's not terribly weepy or freaking out or anything else. She's got a stolid, stolid expression. And I think Vosberg really got it and the Inker really got it too. So I quite mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot, again, more planning and stuff. And then we when we see the team deployed, there's a single tear she's shedding. And up until that point, we really didn't know if there was anything between the two of them. Right. And there may not have been, and we didn't find this out like much later, that they had a thing, and then it ended, and then they had a thing again, and et cetera, et cetera. So, so we got, th- everything broke up into threes. We, uh, 
We see Torpedo in action, and by that we mean we see him kind of swimming in the water, but that's kind of it. We really don't see him, like, kicking ass or whatever. But, uh, you know, we see, you know, Doc's there, and they're observing, you know, the mercenary guys getting whacked by Cobra guys in disguise. And we see a great scene where uh, uh, Rock and Roll and uh, and uh, Scarlet and, I believe, Grunt uh, take out uh, the local airport. So then it becomes, like, the real kind of caper scene where it's like, okay, we got the airport screwed, but we don't know for how long, so we need to get those guys out of here. And it's uh, the rest of it becomes a really good for four pages, it was a really good high punched up, uh, you know, like caper. It's like, okay, we got to get out of here. This is the last plane. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's a great line when they're all shoved into like one cab and they're all like, Hey, grunt. Oh, Hey, looking good breaker. Hey, what do you say? Stalker. Oh, I can't complain. Hey, rock and roll. Mm. How's your face? Yeah, <laughs> just again, only Larry, only Larry Hama could get away with that. So, but it made them human. Right. <clears throat> and the main bad guy in this is this third party foreign militia. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it Many ways it has that similar feel of the um, that American militia that they had that was threatening nuclear war. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like oh, here's another ragtag group of people that GI Joe has to put down. Issue fourteen. Issue fourteen. This is my first GI Joe issue, and boy, was this hyped up on television! Oh yes, it was. Uh, it was uh, an episode of, I believe, of Challenge of the Super Friends. I was watching, and they would play this animated sequence promoting this issue fourteen about Destro. It's all about Destro and blah blah blah. Cobra Commander has this new plan. Who is it? It's this guy. Mm-hmm. Episode this issue called Destro Attacks, and then in the it's a pretty solid cover. We see Destro revealed. Uh, we see him in, in his metal mask. Um, I'm not, I think it was Andy Mishaski who might have done this cover. I'm not sure, but uh, <clears throat> it wasn't so much the mask that threw me off, but uh, the collar and the big giant uh, ruby. Which to this <laughs> to this day, I don't think there's ever been a. A crazy retcon as to why the big giant jewel or anything to that effect, mm-hmm. um, which kind of surprised me because at this point, you know, that usually like third tier fandom uh, writers will say, oh, well, that's uh, in his past and blah, blah, blah. You know, someone stole it. So he's on a, he's got a quest to get it back, yada, yada. <clears throat> but we open up with a great opening splash page hmm. of Venom, Snake Eyes and Quinn. You know, and their air's running out, and the water's, like, seeping in, and uh, Quinn is curious enough. He's the peacemaker in all this. Snake Eyes really wants to kill Venom. Venom really wants to kill Snake Eyes, yeah. but, of course, he knows he can't stand a chance against him, so mm. he's, like... He's got a chair in his hands. <clears throat> yeah, and he's kind of appealing to Quinn, but their their hatred of each other <clears throat> is, like, bailing out. Also, Snake Eyes' uh, uniform and mask have miraculously regenerated. Oh right, because he was maskless <laughs> last we saw him. Yeah, I mean, I, I could, I could possibly get in the idea. Maybe he carries like a spare mask to just put over his face or something. <laughs> but his sleeves have all grown back. And mm-hmm. too. But again, it's comic books. You gotta, you gotta let little stuff like different that slide. penciler. <clears throat> also, too, I think this is. I think when Larry Hama used to always say that oh, I can't tell you what's going on in GI Joe the next few months because I don't know. I think he really. I think he really meant it when he said, I don't know what's going on until I sit down and I actually write it. So I, I think if, if he had known, oh, I'm going to do that, then I'll have said, let's have this and let's do this. So, but it's a badass part when he, Snake Eyes karate shops the chair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, another, that's another single panel that I, 
I really like. And Quinn is like, you guys got to cut this crap out. All right. Well, this is the absurdity, right? They're in a bunker that's been blown. Like the, the surrounding island's been blown up. So now the bunker is underwater. They should be worried about getting out alive. But of course, they've got this stupid vendetta against each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, more plot development, more plot uh, development, character they, development <clears throat> of um, yeah, they Destro. Yeah, well, uh, we we uh, we see possibly a huge secret being dropped uh, at the at the base, and they're like, you know, even Breaker is like, whoa, like like Breaker, Hawk, and Scarlet are like agape, and and Hawk is just like, get General Flag on the horn right now. So whenever that's deciphered, and yeah, we see again another shadowy scene of. Baroness and Destro, and we finally see Destro reveal. Now, here's an odd, again, here's an odd thing. At the time, she says, must I call you by that name? Later on, his name was always James McCullen Destro, which just wasn't to be revealed or whatever. But this definitely implied that Destro was not a family name. It was right, an alias. It was an alias he was using. And uh, and to this day, I, I often wonder about, you know, that, that you could go back and pick up a little bit on that. But... We see his face, and uh, we definitely see that it's a metal mask. And for about the next five issues, they did something that I really, really have always respected, and I wish they had kept up with it. They kept it static. It was always a metal mask. It was never capable of articulation articulation or expression or Mm -hmm. anything else. But then by about uh, the early 20s, with the different artists coming on in, very quickly he became evil Silver Server. Well, also within a few months of this issue, the Sunbow cartoon came out. Yes. And that was definitely an articulate <laughs> mask. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, there was no yeah. way around that. And I wasn't like the team liquid going on is like, oh liquid metal or something mm-hmm. silly like that. No, and I and I really appreciated that. I really I really appreciated there was a it was a static image, and just same thing they used to do with Iron Man. Um, mm-hmm. the, the artist would just have to kind of have the point of view as sort of different angles and right. use that to convey an expression. Right. And uh, and again, we start to see that the the crazy ass plot involving microdots and viruses. And computer subdivuge, and we're starting to already see the cracks in Cobra leadership. I mean, literally, Cobra Corps Commander brought in Destro, and Destro right away was starting to move the pieces on the chessboard to mm-hmm. stage a coup d'état. Right. And again, as a kid, I freaking you know, mm-hmm. I loved it. I loved the soap opera intrigue goofiness of it. That uh, really wasn't what I was expecting, and. Um, yeah, it really was kind of unique to this comic. We didn't, you know, villains and, and stand-up superhero stuff, even if they teamed up, they usually crapped out at the end. There was never an extended organization of slow backstabbing or, or power plays or anything like that. You know, so this was a very, 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 very proto Game of Thrones uh, type of situation, which I didn't mind at all. And we see some good stuff, too. We see, again, Cobra agents who don't look like, you know, six foot two, you know, it's like like, like goons. There's an accountancy, and the guy looks like a little nebbish accountant with eye shade, and he's on the radio and talking military jargon, and yeah, he's a cobra. He's a cobra agent through and mm-hmm. through. Then we get. Uh, but that's it. They've got hidden silos. Big uh, paranoia in the in the early '80s during this Cold War. Mm-hmm. There's oh, hidden silos in the middle of a rural area, and now we've got an uh, an underground agency of evil 
controlling underground silos, what other things could they store in those hidden silos? Oh, who knows? Who knows? So the the boys escape, um, or at least you know, of course, Venom like screws over like Quinn. Oh, and then then which I thought was a bit odd because I was like, okay, Doctor Venom with a wrench is not going to be able to take out Snake Eyes. Mm-hmm. Then you got what's left of the of the mercenaries and the Cobra guys from the last issue. There's some exposition there. Venom is like again, he's weasel. I would I would totally see Brian Cranston playing mm. Doctor Venom now. Sure, yeah, I could totally see him doing it. They're they're um, Cobras uh, experimenting on biological warfare here. Mm-hmm. They uh, experiment uh, with an injection on one of um, Cobra Commander's own uh, officers here, and he keels over. And then Cobra Commander suddenly realized that he's been duped by Dr. Venom because Dr. Venom said that this virus would be inert in the carrier. But no, it just straight up kills the guy that they injected it with. Yep. So it's like, ah, we're going to have to need Cobra. If Dr. Venom is, <laughs> if Dr. Venom, if, too bad Dr. Venom's dead because we could, we could use him now. Mm-hmm. Um, also, this issue, uh, we first meet Ace and the Sky Striker. Right, yes. So our first spread to that, and uh, there's a when Destro realizes that his original plan to screw over uh, Cobra Commander and take over might threaten the life of the Baroness, he immediately sets, uh, sets up a strike team to go and basically rescue them from from his own trap that he mm-hmm. set for Cobra Commander. And there's a great, great panel where he's just being a badass on his own and like like standing off. And uh, yeah, you definitely get the idea that. Yeah, yeah, Destro's kind of badass, mm-hmm. you know, and really, really sort of works. And uh, we only see Ace for about, you know, three panels. There was this line in this issue where everyone's, uh, all these Cobra soldiers are running on foot, and someone mentions to Destro that one of the men are falling behind, and he says, shoot him. Yes, shoot him, and administer <laughs> the same punishment to anyone else that lags behind. <clears throat> no, that's badass. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that's really... That's that's good. Usually, I'm, usually I'm not a fan of uh, um, like the penalty of failure is death type villainy. But mm. in this case, since Destro is out to save the Baroness, and it, again, it really kind of proves that uh, how deep his feelings run towards her, and he doesn't want her captured or killed or anything else like that. Issue 15. Issue 15 with uh, the cover. Uh, oddly enough, I don't think this scene really happens because I don't think Quinn is ever flying the plane, but Quinn is flying the plane in this issue uh, cover, and Dr. Venom's trying to stomp on the fingers of a uh, snake eyes who's hanging from the bomb bay doors. It does kind of happen a little bit, but uh, not... Uh, not exactly. Yeah, not exactly, exactly. And this one is called Red Eye to Miami. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, some we got some good, good goofy stuff uh, going on in this one. Um, you know, Dr. Venom, of course, is... Dr. Venom likes to plead for his life, and of mm. course the guy's like, nah, we're just gonna shoot you and kill you. But then Quinn's like, <laughs> he emerges out of the water and just sprays <laughs> the guys down. And as soon as they're all dead, gun. Snake Eyes is right on top of Venom trying to <laughs> kill him. He's finally got his chance. I mean, yeah, this is, this is, this, again, this, I think we often think of like Snake Eyes as being, um, Maybe a little more moral or something to that effect, but uh, no, he's or not in control. <clears throat> yeah, he's yeah, he's really outwardly yeah, he's on yeah, he is he's uncontrollable around Venom. You know, he's out to kill the guy, and once a Quinn Quinn has to pay the the peacemaker and you know spout his uh, his sort of philosophies and stuff. Say so, no, 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 we we can't. You know, well, the point is that he's the only one who could fly a plane. Yes, and so that's why Quinn wants him to 
not be killed by Snake Eyes in this yes. instant. It's like, back off, Shadow Man. And I like the fact that he calls him Shadow Man. Yeah, I always like that appellation for him. That was pretty good. So, uh, so they go... But that was my point for pointing out the cover. Because if, if in fact, Dr. Venom is the only one that could fly a plane, then the cover's completely wrong. Because <laughs> <laughs> clearly, <laughs> clearly Venom's not the only one that could fly a plane, according to the cover of the comic book. Well, again, when when they when they do get to take it, well, we'll, we'll, let's get to that then. Okay. Because uh, yeah, they they go they go there, and again, it's where they're still in this 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 banana republic, for lack of a better term, and uh, they come across an airfield which is pretty much all World War II surplus that they they've bought off various governments and whatnot. So. Uh, they go, and a couple of guards are just being, Hey, Pablo, what about my sandwich? Uh, mm. <laughs> it shows the sandwich guy getting... I'm not sure if he's getting killed, but uh, we'll see. But the point is, they get into a World War II... Uh, I think it's a B-17, I think. They get into a bomber. Uh, and this, of course, is the real trick about piloting. It's it's not about controlling the plane in the air. It's about taking off and landing. That's okay. where all the trick is. And that's what Dr. Venom can know how to do. Mm-hmm. And again, it's, it's, it's a well-paced, like decently drawn. It really keeps the pressure up because they've got to get off the runway. And, but one of the, one of the engines just won't conk over. So Venom is doing some legit, like piloting stuff, how to feather the engine, how to do this, a lot, a lot of good technical jargon, which I have no idea if it really is correct. But again, at that age, it sounded authentic to me, and good planning too, in the sense of, hey, there's some, uh, you know, there's some fighter planes that they got there. We need to take those out before we take off, otherwise they'll come by and they'll kill us. And yeah, they they're able to make it off. And again, Doctor Venom is just, you know, right away he's on the radio and Morse coding the base, and a little bit like uh, the escape scene from Star Wars. We got a, we got one. Uh, one fighter plane going after him, and they're trying to like they have to fight that off. And Doctor Venom uses a little trickery and and piloting skills. And again, even Quinn's just like you know, you are a good pilot, Venom. Too bad the the weasel spirit lives in your belly like a cancer, you know. <clears throat> and that's why I find it so uh, interesting about this is that the three of these characters they make a really good team. Yeah, it is an interesting dynamic of the three of them. Uh, you've got a brilliant backstabber, but he's got all these skills, and they all have their own fair share of skills. Uh, Quinn is very resourceful, uh, can wield a giant gun, mm-hmm. and then uh, Snake Eyes, who's resourceful in his own right, but just has a different finesse about him than than a Quinn would have. And uh, yeah, no, the, the the three of them are a very unlikely team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's just, uh, and right away, you, you turn your back on Venom, and what does he do? <laughs> he tra- drops, tries to drop Snake Eyes through the Bombay doors. Mm-hmm. And that's where we get the scene where, you know, Snake Eyes is hanging by a thread, then he tries, then Quinn tries to save him, and then, you know, he's beating him over the head, because, you know, Snake Eyes holding onto Quinn's ankle, and Quinn trying to pull it back up, and, you know, Quinn, just by sheer force of will and strength, is able to get up there, even though Venom is knocking him in the head with a wrench. Right. Dr. Venom loves using a wrench as a weapon. I mean, when you're, <clears throat> when you're built so thin, <laughs> and these, he's, he's got two tanks that he's up against, yes. like... He really has to use what he what he can get his hands Dider, on. Dider Venom, I think. I think he's, he's I think his wrench foo is probably like fourth or fifth level. Yeah, he maybe. He's pretty confident in it. So. But apparently, a wrench to the head cannot fell either Snake Eyes or <clears throat> Venom. 
Yeah, and then um, you know Quinn decides, you know what, I am done with you. And the expression on on, on Venom's face again, uh, kudos to the art. It really, really, uh, really good job of expressing just how weaselly and cowardly and how begging for his life he is. And even Snake Eyes is like, no, 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 we get we need him to land the plane and keep it up in the air. And Quinn does the line, yeah, a man who whips his dog will pull his own sled one day, which is a quote. Uh, used later on in the series uh, that Destro uses, which is very interesting because we never saw Destro and Quinn cross paths, so that must have been some undocumented adventure, mm-hmm. but I, I really like that, too. I knew an Eskimo once who said, a man who whips his own dogs will pull his own sled one day. Hmm. So that's, again, uh, Larry Hama had some very good, very subtle callbacks right? that were not based on plot these were just character ticks, and mm-hmm. and again, I I I really kind of think that he's a much better writer than a lot of people give him credit for. And then ah, and then of course, <laughs> so here we are in issue fifteen, the issue after fully introducing Destro, and already Cobra Commander has hired someone to murder Destro. I know we get Major Sebastian Blood, yes. our fa- our favorite poet of the GI Joe mm-hmm. universe, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and. Uh, we just see him for a, a, a real quickie. Um, again, he's got the mustache, and I never really quite understood what the the square thing around his arm was supposed to be. Right. Um, I always did like the Cockney sort of British voice they gave Michael to him. Michael Bell's voice. Yeah, I I, I always liked that one. Mm-hmm. I always thought that was that was a, a good strong choice. And we definitely we see we see Baroness and Destro really in each other's arms and they're like the the shipping is like full at this point to the point where it's like do you love Cobra Commander? No, I love you. I just would you betray me and she's like ah, no. After about seven <clears throat> ellipses. Yeah, and he's he's almost like he's trying to make out with her, you know, through mm-hmm. the mask and stuff like that. And then and then of course the boys our boys in the plane they're almost at uh, at Florida, but uh of course they just happen to run around just to add insult to injury, they fly over a junky fisherman plane, and, and for like four panels, you got some guys on there that are like, "Oh, they must they must be working for the Coast Guard." No, we're hauling contraband, and by contraband, it, this is the still the early mid '80s. They must have meant drugs, mm-hmm. and <laughs> so they have to, to fight with them. They start dumping things out. Now, Venom already sent a message, and already the wheels of Cobra's influence and power in the regular world are going outwards because there's already, you know, uh, lawyers and limousines on their way to the police station getting ready to uh, do something. We're not sure yet. And then once again, we've got uh, a scene of a a middle-aged elderly couple just kind of having a conversation uh, just as the plane sort of crash lands and (laughs) and they're kind of stalwart and crashes in front of them like, oh, there's sand in my drink. and. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, well, it's one of those nods too, because this guy's like a, a World War II veteran. He's like, yeah, we, I yeah. stormed Omaha Beach. He's like, Larry Hama's a little, little acknowledgement of that. He's like, this, this doesn't even, you know, shake someone who who went through something like that. Yeah, he's got away with that, but he he definitely, I just day, I don't know, I never know if he was like poking fun at satirizing that mindset or whatever. Because I remember in the previous issue when Destro and his team land. His paratroopers. Oh, by the way, uh, a callback I want I forgot to mention about that is we see a cool insignia. It's Cobra with the little wings. So it was like mm-hmm. the Cobra Airborne guys. I always, I always loved that. Uh, yeah, insignia. that was cool in issue 14. <clears throat> but there's a throwaway panel. Sure enough, the, the Earl and Edna on the farm is just like, what kind of people like, go parachuting and then run around in costumes? Must be from New York. They're all crazy up there. Mm-hmm. And, and he, 
He really thought, Hama really thought that middle America really distrusted New York <laughs> and that anything strange or bizarre or unusual had well, to come from New York. Wasn't he a New Yorker? Oh, yeah. He was a New Yorker so tried and true. That's that's where I think that that is. I mean, he probably visited different parts of the country. Yeah. Like, so where are you from, boy? And he's like, you know, New York City. Oh, New, New York, York City. New York wow. City. <laughs> And that, yeah, exactly. The, the paste picani sauce was yeah. acknowledging that that mentality as well. But um, also, this is bef- way before uh, Times Square got cleaned up too. So it was just like a den of scum and villainy. It was oh, New yeah. York City. So now we get to issue sixteen, called Night Attack. Uh, and now, now the ball's really kind of rolling with uh, the Commander's extended plot again. Uh, Almost too, I won't say convoluted, but it's legit. It is legitimately complex, and again, we're kind of back to like viruses and microdots and 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 layers upon layers. But uh, we're also getting a, a good battle, and right away we're it's the obligatory. Oh, hey, okay, the team's fighting the enemy, and then it's like, oh no, 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 it's a simulation, and they're training, and that's what they do, and they're working the vehicles, and we a great splash shot though right away. We see all the primary vehicles of the toy line right then and there. We see the dragonfly that looks like the dragonfly toy. They finally got an, okay, that looks like a dragonfly toy. And then the vamp, and then the mobat, and then the ram, the motorcycle. So, yeah. And then, well, it looks like we're going to need some different kinds of support. And we introduce to the Wolverine driven by CoverGirl. Yes. A new girl on the team. Mm-hmm. You know, technically the second female on the team. Um, right. If you put an asterisk next to that, if you don't include the retcon of Shooter being put on the team. Um, <laughs> and the, the Shooter was not shown in that first issue, so. No, no, no. Much later on, she was retcon and inserted on in. Definitely the second shown yes. uh, character who's a female. Chronologically, the second character. And mm. also we get to meet Tripwire, who I mm. always, I've always had a soft spot for. Um, he's supposed to be their anti-demolition, you know, like expert and no weapons. He just comes with a big minesweeper thing, although Mm -hmm. he has mines as well. He has mines. So I guess he could throw them at his enemies if he wanted to. (laughs) I guess so. And he's supposed to be all jittery and, uh, his, his file card was, was particularly inspired about how he was tried to find enlightenment in the Zen uh, Buddhist uh, monastery, and they kicked him out because he was breaking all the plates. One thing I really did like about his his figure is that he did have that backpack with three removable mines. Yes. And you could actually, you know, use them in your in your scenarios. That was actually kind of badass, and I, I don't think in any of the run that I led it to that we really got a chance to see him I would have liked to have seen that once. Him just like they're being chased to so hold on. Let me lay a quick ambush. One, mm-hmm. two, three, and because mines are. If you know anything about munitions, mines are nasty. Oh yeah, badass things. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it would have been nice to you know, even if it just aped the scene from uh, Uncommon Valor when Reb Brown's talking about his his gauntlet of explosive death, or like this explosion, the one and two and three and four, you know. All based on where people run to next. But I digress. Uh, we get a nice dinner scene of intrigue uh, at Cobra headquarters where Sebastian Blood is formally introduced by Cobra Commander. Um, one thing that's interesting is that this definitely implies that, that Cobra's command structure, again, and I, I realized this uh, as I grow into adult uh, in my forays into, into business and whatnot, was that no matter how good you are internally, there's always some jerk hole with, you know, <laughs> selling snake oil who comes on in as an expert and for some reason they'll 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 take their word over somebody who's been inside the longest time. 
because there's never uh, these are technically all outsiders at Cobra's uh, commander's like power structure. There's no internal, you know. Before we'd seen Cobra generals and stuff, and they look kind of badass. There's one with an eye patch in issue eight that I always thought was. Hey, I want to know what that guy's story is, but uh, instead we get we get these guys, and there's a bottom of uh, thought balloons of everybody's opinion, kind of each other and the intrigue. Now, curious thing about this a trivia: this uh, this page was reintroduced. They didn't have a GI Joe annuals; they had GI Joe yearbooks. And what they did was was that there's a big section of. In case you didn't read the comics, we're going to kind of break down the stories and the plot, and they reprinted this panel down below, or these panels, I should say, the sequence of that, but they flipped the balloons, thought balloons at the end. Hmm. Uh, the balloons of, of Venom and uh, uh, the Baroness were flipped. It was originally like this in the comic, and then they were flipped in the, in the yearbook, which always made me wonder, was that the correct sequence? I never really quite knew, and then when but seeing it now in this reprint, I'm like at this point, okay, I have to assume that the yearbook screwed up. I don't know how because those things are glued down, so they don't uh, they're not easily removable. But uh, you know that would be a completely ridiculous and ultra nerdy question to ask Larry Hama, and I would probably just get up and walk away if I asked him that. So that's gonna be a that'll be a mystery for the ages and I'll leave it at that well it's interesting because in switching it it, it would say that Baroness was actually saying both Destro and Cobra Commander are preoccupied in forcing me to choose between them it's like in Baroness's mind there's no choice she's, she's in love with Destro why would she be forced to choose between them right? but or we, is it overtly but there is she does have some loyalty to the Cobra Commander. Mm. <clears throat> I mean, it's not like intimate loyalty, but she is a part of the system. She is the Cobra intelligence officer. She has been his, for lack of a better term, has been his adjunct for an extremely long, since the get-go, as we all know. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to say. Hmm. Kind of hard to say. But, again, as a kid, and not being familiar with the concept, not watching soap operas, Mm-hmm. This was as soap opera as it got, oh, right, and yeah. I was just, I was i was eating it up. You, you were know? hooked. I was. It was. And looking back on it, it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of juvenile, but um, mm-hmm. I, I really liked it, and I'm completely unapologetic about it. So we see uh, later on, it looks like maybe Cobra has had enough crap with the United States government and actually attacking the, uh, the Capitol. And this is, again, one of Cobra's Commander's sort of diversionary tactics. This whole plot eventually finds that it's going to be a two-pronged. One, it's going to set his wheels in motion, again, with the virus and Scarface and maybe getting rid of Dr. Venom at the same time, and maybe getting rid of Destro as well. Um, there is one sequence, though, that I, as, that I had to call shenanigans on as mm-hmm. a kid, and that is we see Torpedo for the second time. Right. They are fighting in Washington, D.C. Yes. And he, they are fighting a land battle, and he is completely wearing all his scuba gear, including his tank, his flippers, right. and his weapon is his spear gun. So, and now, now, granted, that is what the toy and they're fighting comes indoors. With. Yes. However, <clears throat> even the toy could take off those darn flippers. Yes. So there is no excuse for this guy wearing his flippers on a uh, catwalk. In there's, this there's, issue. there's just no reason whatsoever. I, I can only guess that uh, that Hasbro said, "You've got to keep everybody on model." And mm-hmm. uh, I just, I don't know, maybe Hamo said, "Okay, fine, I'm gonna throw him in here, and this guy's gonna be running around in his goddamn 
full tank of scuba gear. And you know what? Poor Larry Hama, like the, the Sunbow wasn't even adhered to that that limitation. Normally when you saw Torpedo in the Sunbow cartoon, he was just wearing an, a white undershirt. And he was completely unrecognizable from the toy. Really? There was only the occasional time when they did do any underwater work. And of course he looked more like the toy, but generally when he was in conversation with other Joes, you completely saw his face and he's just wearing a white t-shirt. At least they did that. At least they did that. Um, I actually, uh, when they did the re-release of the figures a couple of years ago, I, I actually, uh, made a land combat uh, uh, torpedo. Mm. I all the Scooby Gears removable, so I popped off his head and I put it on uh, sort of a generic land body. I gave him a boonie hat, which fit over his head and actually fit over his head close enough that it covered up his wetsuit part of his head. Okay, so you see, kind of just his face, mm-hmm. and I just gave him some like like standard, gear, and he just he looked like a land deployed seal, right? And yeah. it was pretty cool. So mm-hmm. that there's that in and of itself. I. If they if they could have made a figure, if they, well they could have they if they if they made a figure of Gung Ho in his dress uniform, they could have and mm. probably should have done torpedo in land battle. But right. you know, sell or he could have had one of those black t shirts that said Seal across the. That's chest. true. <laughs> those of you that don't know, you know? <laughs> and we are not making fun of our our, our men in. Oh, this, absolutely in this, not. Yes. Although I did see a, a long time ago, I got interested in this. But actually, I, around this age, I got interested in military branches and the, and the heavy duty stuff. And uh, I never forget a poster. It's like, there's two kinds of seals, you know, but only one wears the trident. And showed, like, mm-hmm. the seal with the bull. And then it showed a character of a guy just getting complete, absurd amount of, like, gear and all that fun stuff. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, we start to see, uh, we see about the whole Joe team as they exist. Uh, Tripwire does kind of do his job. And he's able to, you know, like, defuse a bomb, which is you know, important. And. But then they get captured, and we see, you know, like, CoverGirl, who's a little snarky at first. She was a little bitchy towards uh, Scarlet. But, of course, Scarlet is, again, Scarlet's proven in history already that she's absolutely has no empathy towards any of the equipment or gear. Mm. In the first episode, or the first one, issue five, she was like, yeah, the Mobat tank, big deal. It's just whatever. It's just a tank. And she was like, oh, yeah, well, the Wolverine looks impressive. We'll see it under combat. And CoverGirl's like, mm-hmm. all right, bitch. <laughs> so we see CoverGirl in action, and uh, we see the see the Wolverine in action, and it's a badass figure. I, I, I always liked it. I always thought that was, it was a cool little cool vehicle. I had no problem with that. But then, of course, during all this confagulation, you know, Cobra Commander says... All right, now Major Blood, while Destro is is, is concentrating on the fight, terminate him. Mm-hmm. And then Baroness makes a choice. And uh, she twists the thing over. You know, she's damaged, she's hurt. And well, maybe that's an answer to my speculation. Because if she's pointing out having to choose between the two, and then here, here she is. I'm not sure she's choosing between the two. She's just making sure that, you know, Destro doesn't get killed. Mm. You know, she, pretty, she subverts the assassination. And then apparently it gets blown up herself. Right. Which we see later on. And I always like this shot at the bottom of that page, too, which shows the explosion and the hiss tank that she's in. And then you see her, 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 her John Lennon glasses just get thrown from it. And I was like... And I, mm. I honestly thought at the time, because I'm pretty sure her figure had still not been released, I thought, oh, they killed her off, because then we're going to make it a figure of her. Because hmm. nobody wants a figure of a girl. No. <laughs> yes, I was proved wrong. Relax. Uh, <clears throat> so, and then we finally see, uh, we see Destro really, like, kind of in the zone of mourning for a second there. He can't believe what just happened. And then we see a knockdown fight between, first between Hawk and Cobra Commander. 
And then finally, after Corcoran Corcoran is getting the shit kicked out of him, miraculously, he gets saved by Destro, the man who just, like, a minute and a half ago, he was trying to kill. So again, there's uh, again H- Hama is underrated. Uh, mm-hmm. There's that's a that's a great sense of irony. And even then, Cobra Commander's he's like, I gotta shoot one of them, but I who do I shoot? He's mm-hmm. like, oh, who do I kill? Who do I kill? Eventually, he makes his choice. He shoots uh, shoots Hawk in the back because you know the, shoots the leader of GI Joe. <laughs> Finally, Cobra Commander is like, I guess I don't hate Destro as much as the leader of GI Joe. Right, I can always deal with Destro later. Boom, and then... Uh, and then Scarface uh, hops on the nearest bus out of town. That's right. You know, he's got scores to settle with Dr. Venom and everything else. He's been... He's just... He's realizing now he's been used as an absurd pawn and all this, and he's just pissed off in general. Issue 17, Loose Ends. Uh, this issue picks up immediately after the last one. And again, these are... A lot of these issues start getting tighter and tighter, where it's like seconds after the last one disappeared. Uh... Doc is on the case, and uh, Doc actually kind of gets, I'm not sure of an attitude per se, but uh, Scarlet's like, is it okay? Is it okay? And Doc's like, look, just take a walk, all right? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm trying to work here, <laughs> you know? And, and just because he's a pacifist and everything else, is a nice guy. He's like, look, I can't work if you're... you're, you're I got a patient who's near death. Stop talking. <clears throat> yeah. So, and it looks like it's, it's, where before the fight was in the late night, it looks like the sun is just rising on this one. We see an exhibition of gung-ho strength where, again, uh, once again, a, a nebbish, annoying civilian uh, gets uh, gets involved in what's going on. And it's like, it's like, you're holding up traffic and I'm busy. And gung-ho trashes his car because it's some fancy, oh, it's a Shelby GT Cobra. And yeah, he completely wrecks it with his own bare hands. You know, Clyde stripped the caddy. Then we have a we, again. We have another machina. Turns out that uh, that that Hawk was wearing a, a bulletproof vest of some kind. Mm. You know, like a small model, a small one that kind of stopped a little bit. So he's not dead. The cool thing is, though, is that Destro and Cobra Commander are on the run uh, with Doctor Venom. There's a bunch of other crap going on. Just, uh, Scarface is on the run, and then you've got uh, you got the rest of the team. They're just sort of floating around, and they're like, "Well, uh, Doctor uh, Major Blood's on the run too." So it's a chase. They're all kind of out to to get them, and the Joe team is like, uh, "Yeah, uh, whoever <laughs> whoever finds them first gets to kill them." They're, they're kind of like to that, or at least gets to kick their ass or whatever. And while Destro is just you know basically mourning and trying to figure out like why is she dead? Why did uh, why did uh, Major Blood try to kill me? And then we see why Cobra Commander is the commander. We see him do what he does best. He lies mm. and does so in an incredibly convincing and plausible way where he basically tells Destro was like, uh, I suppose you probably think that I ordered him to, uh, you know, ordered him to kill you. So, no, 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 no. Major Blood was in love with the Baroness. He wanted to kill you because with you out of the way. He could have like gotten mm. off with her and, you know, and who could blame her? I mean, she's so beautiful, smart and beautiful. Am I right? <laughs> and Destro's like, uh, that does seem right. I mean, you know, I could have killed you right here. I mean, wh- why would I do that to you? you know, it, and again, it's just it's just plausible enough, and the situation is just dire enough that he can't really like think about it at the time. So, uh, oh yeah, in the last issue, yeah, uh, Doctor Venom got sprung as he left Quinn and Snake Eyes to rot in jail. Uh, 
<clears throat> now, I would think that Snake Eyes could have, when they're rotting in a Miami jail, to, uh, you know, they would have brought in and assigned someone who could spoke sign language. They could have just said, make a phone call to, you know, this government branch of office or whatever, and they'll vouch for me. So, mm-hmm. But for reasons, again, because this is a comic book, they decided to escape from j- jail. If they landed in a Mexican jail, I can understand this, but they landed in Florida, and I this was always a yeah. disconnect for me that they couldn't have just contacted out. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Quinn keeps a, a saw blade in his shoe, don't ask us why. And uh, <laughs> For this emergency. Yeah, for this emergency, and Snake Eyes keeps an emergency $100 bill up his sleeve, which for some reason I could kind of see that. Kind of reminds me, reminds me a little bit of a... Um, in uh, Doctor Strange Love, when the pilots are going through the checklists and they've got like uh, like gold coins each worth like fifty rubles a piece and stuff in case they need to buy their way through a situation, mm-hmm. just bribes. Look, don't report me to the abilities of business. Here, here, I have gold. Take it. You know, it's funny because there's a slit in um, Snake Eyes' sleeve that he's pulling the hundred dollar from, and it is mere centimeters away from a a pocket. Yes. <laughs> That could have also easily held a $100 bill. Yes, could have pulled it out from there, and I'm, I'm a little surprised, too. And again, because it's still a comic book, they they would have confiscated Snake Eyes' mask. They would have pulled it off of him and been right. all. And also, too, one other mystery about Snake Eyes and his model sheet was, does he have gloves or does he have hands that are that are black? <laughs> you know, I think the idea was always gloves, but it was always drawn as normal hands, and then the colorist just sort of, blank. You know, no one really bothered to to backtrack on it. They uh, he and Quinn uh, find some some guys just shooting dice in the street, and with their hundred dollars, decide, oh, okay, well, maybe we can pick up a little more money from here, which does eventually lead to a, a funny funny bit. Meanwhile, Blood's trying to escape. Uh, you know, uh, Scarface is trying to escape, and of course, they both end up on the both the same passenger bus, um, which is being chased after. And Grand Slam, of all people, gives a great opportunity to come crashing through and kind of kick ass. And let's not forget, people, Grand Slam is one of us. Grand Slam's a geek. His file card actually says he's the only member of the team that uh, enjoys, quote, escapist fiction, with the parentheses, science fiction and comic books. So, hey, score score one for us. And uh, But uh, Cobra Commander and Destro... Do escape. Uh, Ace, we see him actually engaged in some dogfights against some Cobra pilots, and he emerges victorious, but, you know, they do escape. However, and of course, you know, Destro is, you know, fuming, ready to get revenge on blood if he ever sees him. And of course, Venom is like, like you can't you can't give me that crap. If he finds out you were going to kill him, he's going to rush you up. Nah, nah, nah. And Corcoran is like, I got this, I got this. But we do see that uh, not only did Quinn and uh, Snake Eyes take all their money, they took a car, and uh, Snake Eyes won a guy's cowboy hat as he is wearing it on his head, above his mask, with his legs crossed up against the dashboard, being most relaxed. Which, again, this gives Snake Eyes a little more character. Like, uh, usually we want to think of him as almost like this robot who's kind of a badass, but no. There's a human being in there with uh, a little bit of a sense of humor, mm-hmm. and uh, we we see it shine on through. Another cool, notable uh, scene in this issue too was one of the doctors at the hospital when they after uh, blood gets a crap kicked out of him, 
You know, it's like, oh, you can't go in there. And we've seen this scene in every movie and every comic book where the doctors and the medical staff say, you can't go in there, blah, blah, blah. This, 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 this. And they're trying to say he's a dangerous terrorist. And it turns out that the doctor telling him they can't go in there is a cobra. And again, he's Cobra. Mm. He's on the phone saying, I'm putting my I'm, I'm putting my, my cover here, deep thing. But uh, look, major blood is here. So mm. also, but they wheel him in the, with the same operating room as, uh, <laughs> as Hawk, who, you know, stops him from like screwing around and all that stuff. So, uh, so as it stands right now, and then there's something going on in Coney Island because everybody's headed to Coney Island. Issue 18, Destro Returns, which I didn't know he was quite gone, but uh, again, I was thinking that was a last minute generic title. By the way, Destro's in this issue. If you didn't notice from the cover. Yes, that very important to know. Um, this takes place uh, some time later as uh, Duke is... Or Duke. Again, this sounds <laughs> Hawk. Still Hawk. Yeah, Hawk is... However, Hawk. at this point, I believe Duke has been introduced in animated form. Yes, right out of the gate in the first series, it was Duke. And I'm like, who's this Duke jerk-off and where's <laughs> Hawk? Um, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll get to that. We'll get to that in volume three when, mm-hmm. uh, when Duke actually shows up and then... The problem of having two characters, they're supposed to be different people being drawn exactly alike. Hmm. <clears throat> so up there, there's a, not sure how long has passed, but it's been long enough for him to get out of the hospital. And it was enough time for Snake Eyes to send a postcard to the pit, proving that he's still alive. Um, a great little letter, too. It's like, Hawk, meet me. <laughs> Meet me at the center of uh, the coaster of, of, Coney, of Coney. Bring friends. I'm bringing mine. Cheers. Mm. S-E. Mm-hmm. And then there's a postscript on there, P.S., which is only for, for Scarlet, and Scarlet reads it and says, oh, this is him, all right, uh, only he would know this. And this is another single tear of, of relief, and uh, no idea what it was, and, you know, and I'm sure everybody's got their own headcanon to be like, Scarlet has a mole right below her bikini line. <laughs> or, mm-hmm. <sir> <laughs> or it is, I'm like, Scarlet is a natural redhead, top and bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Something to that effect. We get a cool, and again, another subtle, and I have no idea if this is intentional or not, but right after that, too, we see Rock and Roll and Torpedo, and they're on, like, sort of a little catamaran type thing. They're going in, like, stealthy as it is. And why those two characters? Well, it kind of makes sense, because, well, first of all, the Navy, the Navy SEAL would know how to operate that. Rock and Roll, being in his file card in his history, you know, is a former surfer. Right. So he's used to operating this type of equipment a, too. A wind sailboard. Yeah, and in he and he and Torpedo have a little exposition. Torpedo is like, hey, you know, I I didn't meet the Snake Eyes guy, but I've heard things about him. And and Rock and Roll is like, yeah, everything everything you heard about him is true. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, yes, Snake Eyes is the sunder of the team. He's the Wolverine. He's the Batman. He's the uber badass among badasses and stuff. But uh, they. I think they 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 kept a kept it at balance for the most part. So and then we get uh, we get some fight scenes at Coney Island and the roller coasters. And this is not the first time that roller coasters come up uh, when Tomat Tomax and Zamot introduced twenty years uh, not twenty twenty issues later or whatever. There's also some roller coastery type stuff. And again, Quinn's and Quinn's running around. Snake Eyes is running around. Destro runs around. Uh, there's a pretty good uh, knockdown fight and another chase. And the odd thing is, is that this time Destro is actually by himself. He's got no team backing him up. He's got 
he's got balls that are as metal as his head because mm-hmm. he pretty much is taking on the team all by himself. And him stand, and his wrist rockets. Him and his wrist rockets. There's no duds this time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he made he made damn sure of that. Gets a Scarface, and Scarface is just like, just how do I get involved in this? <laughs> <laughs> you almost begin to feel sorry for this schlub because he is just. He's a living MacGuffin that constantly gets like grabbed back and forth and back and forth. It, it is interesting how Larry Hama was like, look, I, I don't have a lot to work with here, but I'm going to take one of these Cobra designs and I'm just going to make him my own. And he will be a through line in all these stories. So like Scarface, you just keep seeing him regardless of the fact that he was never using the cartoon. He was never using the toy line. But Larry Hama was like, I, I, I just won't. I just like this character, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna insert him into these storylines. And then, of course, at the end, again, there's another layer of the subterfuge. They uh, Destro escapes, but they capture Scarface, and Scarface is a Trojan horse. And just in case you didn't get that, you know, Destro does a line about, you know, and to the men of Troy to take the horse to the gates of their city. Scarface is my Trojan horse. So just in case you were aware about that. Issue 19. And issue 19 is, in many ways, like uh, like 11. This is an all-out war issue. This uh, has to introduce a lot of uh, toys in it. And, I th- again, I think based on the, all these crazy-ass constraints, Lama really does a fantastic job. Yeah. Um, so this is going to justify the G.I. Joe base as it was marketed in Hasbro toy form. Yes, and they are building sort of a prefab for fortification. Um, they, uh, and it's curious, too, because earlier Cobra had put out some false information that their base was where the G.I. Joe base was. In a previous issue, yes, uh, we've given them some false information that the Cobra headquarters is underneath the chaplain's assistant school at Fort Wadsworth. <laughs> They'll waste our time and that puny little <laughs> unassuming thing. Mm-hmm. So there's there's that. That's pretty funny. Um, you know, Flag is is hearing uh, Hawk's plan where he basically says, aren't we giving away our position? He goes, well, I think I'm gambling that they're going to think it's just the building, especially after we, we do all this. And also, Baroness is still alive. She's being wheeled around. She's all wrapped up in bandages, and uh, she's got burns over like something like eighty percent of her body. And uh, apparently, she's as screwed up as snake eyes. Now, here's a weird little bit of toy trivia. During sort of the downtime, like the late '90s, early double lots, uh, maybe you remember this. They put out a remold of this is like when they were just doing remolds of the the '80s and '90s figures. Mm-hmm. They put out a, a two-pack, which I th- I forget what the one is, but basically it was the Baroness, but she was referred to as Chameleon. Hmm. Now, here's what they were saying. Here's what they were saying, and I have no idea if this had a layer to do on it, but what they inferred was was that when the Baroness was blown up, they switched her. <laughs> I kid you not. They switched her with her twin sister... Oh, brother. Who was not a terrorist or anything else, and then became uh, G.I. Joe's deep cover mole into uh, Cobra Operations. Okay. So it was never her. That's why she looked so great after her uh, plastic surgery looked exactly like what it was. It wasn't her that got the plastic surgery. Mm. They switched her out when she was mummified, and then when she pulled on out, it was like, bam, surprise, hey. Mm. And they said that the whole time... Or at least during a good chunk of that time was supposedly her. Was this justified in like an IDW story? I don't know, but it was with the file card is there and you mm-hmm. look at Chameleon and it's the it's the darndest thing. And the weird thing is is that 
if they had done it at the time, I would have been on board with it. But it just seems such a strange, strange retcon. Yeah. Uh, that didn't have a lot of tethering, a lot of sense. But uh, it, again, it, it's curious. And yeah, look, go to yojo.com and look up Chameleon. I, I, I'm pretty sure it was called Chameleon. It's interesting because <clears throat> I think I would have seen that on the shelves and like, oh, and yet another name that they don't feel is standing the test of time, like Snow Job or whomever. They, yeah. they felt the need to change when the, they did those re-releases. True that, true that. So, uh, Cobra Commander, yeah. So, they're setting this up. Cobra Commander and then the team, they, they think they've caught on to it. Uh, and then, of course, Snake Eyes and Quinn catch up with Dr. Venom. And at this point, I think Quinn wants to fucking kill him more than, than Snake Eyes actually does. Mm. But the whole point of the matter is all these forces are heading over to the position of, of G.I. Joe headquarters. And uh, the team is kind of spread thin because they're not sure where they're going to approach. And then we see the first appearance of the snake armor. I was a fan of that toy. Myself. Me too. Uh, it was very versatile uh, because it came with um, these these little rubber attachments that could suspend the legs into it. So you didn't actually need to have a figure in the armor, and they actually have them automated in this and in the in the cartoon as well. But it was also intended to be an exoskeleton for a trooper to wear in battle. See, I didn't have one of those. I don't know what it was. Maybe I just didn't know what it was and threw it away. But oh. I was like, crap. I've got to put So I used that old Buck Rogers figure, okay. uh, which was the same scale that, that fit on into it to fill the suit. So because mm-hmm. you had to have something in there, otherwise it was going to fall apart. It was essentially a C-shaped uh, thing with, with some, you know, and then like a prongs at the end of it. Mm-hmm. That fit into the the feet, but it was basically just a piece of rubber. So maybe if you didn't know better, you might have thrown it out. L- yeah, later on, when I bought a, a second one mm. uh, at a toy show and I saw it inside, I was like, "Oh, I felt stupid." I was like, "I bet I threw this away." Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, but yeah, it's because uh, I had I think I got two or three suits of them on my covert display. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so they, they again, it's craziness. So Quinn and Snake Eyes get taken out, and they get shoved into these suits. And uh, they're they're basically going to, oh, we'll throw them at the battle. Meanwhile, they still got Major Blood cool on his heels. And then Cobra finally attacks, and they just missile the hell out of the motor pool, revealing the, quote, pit, which, was it was the toy actually referred to as the pit, or was it just G.I. Joe headquarters? I think it was just G.I. Joe headquarters. Yeah, the I want to say. The pit was the comic book invention mm-hmm. that was always meant to be underneath the, um, the uh, chaplain's office. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's never meant to be the pit in, in other incarnations. Which was basically sort of a prefab fortress that they would just go up real quick and have parapets and the big guns. And and Cobra is really going all out. Uh, and so they then, again, another toy, they did, they threw in the pack rats, the programmed assault computers all terrain. Right. Now, this is curious. Uh, someone told me that they thought this was a ripoff of the uh, sentry guns from Aliens. And I'm like... I am 99% certain this was before Aliens. Oh, well before. <laughs> yeah. And Aliens also too. came out in, what, 86, 87? <clears throat> and those scenes weren't even in the movie at all. I mean, you had to get the, you had to get the expanded Laserdisc version oh. year on. It was always a big rumor earlier on. Oh, yeah, there's expanded scenes with the, these drone guns and everything else. But this is basically a, was a precursor to it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, it, again, I, I thought it was right. I think these it. even appeared in the Sunbow cartoon before Aliens hit, hit the theaters. 
Might have. I do remember in the cartoon, there's a scene, I'm not sure where they do it, but uh, they talk to each other and they use R2-D2's voice. I was about to mention that, yeah. They kind of bow towards each other Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So, uh, Cover Commander and Scarface, or not Cover Commander, Major Blood, Scarface, and... uh, and Doc and the Baroness are all in a cell, and <laughs> Major Blood's like, I don't know, it looks like they're coming to get me. It's like, oh, they're coming to kill you. <laughs> Meanwhile, you've got Quinn and uh, and Snake Eyes and the Snake Armor <clears throat> blowing it away. They don't know, although weirdly enough, Snock's like, one of those suits out there has a familiar walk, which I thought was, again, <laughs> every issue, I allow Hama, you know, one comic bookie ex machina, and that's definitely the one for that one. Mm-hmm. Um, they do say that they're under like mind control and then snake eyes goes back to when he was hooked up to the machine, he breaks it and then venom is laughing. It's not, it can't fire on anything that's Cobra blue. So what does he do? Since the suits are painted white, he mm-hmm. shoots at Quinn's and Quinn busts out and he's going after Dr. Venom and then this is it. And then you got a full blown knockout drag out. Okay. You've got all the vehicles, you got the hiss tanks, you got all the air support pretty much at this point. A bit like issue eight, uh, this is a free for all. Like everything mm-hmm. that was that was that had been introduced or had been an active toy at that point is being thrown on out there. Mm-hmm. And Quinn is just he's he's had it. He's ready. He's gonna blow up Doctor Venom with him with a grenade or something. This is kind of also where Larry Hama's like, okay, it's, we're getting to be a, a full house here. If I'm gonna be forced to use toys. I'm gonna have to kill off my non-toy characters. Something to that effect. Yeah, this major major blood around. major blood makes a break for it, mm-hmm. and shoots General Flag, and it's it's really understated. It's just yeah. a quick bam, boom, and that's it. And he's on the ground. He wheels out uh, he wheels out the Baroness because he knows the Baroness is the only ticket he's got to save himself from Destro's vengeance. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, General Flag does not really go out with um, no, in a blaze no, of no glory. No fanfare, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Well, and also at this point, we don't even know he's dead because everybody else that's gotten shot in the team has always been in the shoulder or this. Mm-hmm. But this is damn near point blank. And Major Blood is supposed to be a badass in his own right, not on Destro's level, but, you know, he's kind of a pirate, so we'll leave it at that. And then, and one thing to talk about, uh, I mentioned before, Quinn, throughout his entire run, is always sort of espousing this uh, warrior philosophy, um, you know, which is attributed to his Eskimo upbringing, and again, I have no idea if it's any of it's true to, to Eskimo culture or not. I'm not even sure if Eskimo is the really quite term. I do apologize if that, <laughs> that is incorrect. <laughs> you know, going back to the Indian versus Native American thing, um, I believe Inuit is is one of the more precise terms. But the whole point of the matter is that Quinn is like, you know what? I, you're such a weasel. You know, if I kill you, what's it going to make me? So, you know what? Fine. Go live your life, Venom. I'm out. I'm done. I'm done. And then, of course, Venom's, uh, you know, like, you turn your back on me, screw you. And shoots Quinn in the back with a Luger. <laughs> right. Bad guys and their Lugers. I have this Nazi weapon the whole time. <clears throat> and you know what? And Quinn said, like, as long as I live, you know, it's like, 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 I made my peace with a weasel. Quinn will not harm you while he lives. That I promise. And you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and leave it because it's actually a really, <laughs> I'm not going to spoil that because it's actually a mm-hmm. pretty good resolvement to it and uh, two pages but uh needless to say we lose quinn mm-hmm. and at the end and even even hawk is like hey look we did this that's a good uh, we scored a major victory in the last scenes snake eyes holding um 
you know, Quinn's, Quinn's, uh, Quinn's necklace of skulls, skull, weasel skulls, and you know, Doc is holding uh, the general's dog tags. General's dog tags, as well as we we lost uh, uh, Doctor Venom. Mm-hmm. Won't uh, say how. We'll, we'll won't leave say him. how, but yeah. Doctor Venom dies. But it's cool. It's really it's really cool. And um, who else was Scarface die here? Scarface dies in the explosion of the building. Scarface supposedly dies in the explosion of the building, and to this day, I I would not put it past uh, the IDW writers or anybody like that to have possibly said he escaped from the building mm-hmm. or something crazy like that. But in you know you've got four characters who were unique to the comic book, and then this is the <clears throat> issue where they get killed off. And then the piece is issue 20, and issue 20 is what I must assume to be what was called a fill-in issue. Yeah. Um, those of you who don't know, back in the day, uh, there would be editors would always have at least one generic story that could kind of be used in a pinch if something went wrong. If an artist was late or you know something was missing or just if, if, if worse comes to worse, it would be fully drawn fully colored, everything would be good to go. They'd keep it in their files and be like, okay, it looks like we're going to pull out this fill-in issue. And that's what this one was. It wasn't, it's issue 20, um, a cover by John Byrne, who was at the peak. I didn't even realize that. Look yeah, at that. Yeah, it was at the peak of his superstardom at the point, and that caught my eye because I was a big mm-hmm. Byrne fan. I'm beginning to think that, oh, maybe Byrne sees the way the wind is blowing on this one. This <laughs> issue is not even written by Larry Hama. This is a or guest drawn. Or, or, uh, yes, this, this was written by uh, Stephen Grant. Stephen Grant was uh, he was an underrated comic writer in his own right. He did uh, some fantastic independent stuff in the early 80s. Did a great ninja book called Whisper, which anybody who read it remembers it fondly. It just never took off and became what it probably should have been. If it, honestly, if it had come out now, it would probably be a pretty solid success. But yeah, this is, a again, a, a, um, I hate to say generic opening, but at first you think they're on a mission and they're running around, but it turns out to be another training simulation. And then Clutch, who has always been one of my favorite uh, of the original Joes, um, He's he's the <laughs> he's the unshaven, you know, it's like toothpick-chewing slob who... Is a foil, always been a foil for uh, Scarlet's uh, steadfastness. Uh, he gets, hey, you're on leave, so uh, it becomes it becomes almost a, a, a standard TV show mystery of the week, or I'm say episode of the week. Where it's he, interesting looking through this. This could have easily been written and debuted any time within this trade. Like particularly, <laughs> it could have been like with this first issue that came out, which was uh, issue eleven. Around that same time, because there are no new vehicles in this, it's just characters that were pretty much introduced in issue 11, and that's it. Exactly, exactly. The uh, fill-in issues were meant to be absolutely a la carte, and uh, maybe would you have to do a little like re-lettering or something to uh, if there was a continuity issue or whatever, but for the most part, it was, whoops, I gotta do a fill-in issue, and... Um, I myself, when I was like trying to get in the comic industry, I came very, very close to uh, selling a couple like uh, fill-in issue scripts, mm. and uh, just never, never made it past that. But it was, it was in contention, and that was actually a way too that you could get on in. It was since okay, we'll we'll write the script, we'll buy it off you. Uh, we may never use it, you know, but that was the first step. You kind of get into it, you know. Nowadays, you just need to write a, an angry social justice uh, blog, and they <laughs> and they throw contracts at you. Mm-hmm. But that's for another story. But yeah, this is a sort of a standard 
his old buddy is being forced to uh, build stuff for Cobra because, of course, at first he thinks he's a traitor, and then, no, they've got his wife and kid, so he's got to save his wife and kid and then save his buddy, and uh, it's... it's The only odd thing to it is that there's a very comic booky conceit, which I thought didn't go with the the pseudoscience level that, that Larry Hama trying to create, where Hama was still trying to keep everything fairly realistic, but this plot involves uh, a jetpack, which basically is a about... A jet belt, basically. A jet belt, which is basically looks like Batman's utility belt. Yeah. Just maybe about two inches, like, longer. And, and essentially, it's, it's emitting some sort of a, a jet stream, but it looks basically like you can fly like Superman. Yeah, yeah. And there, there is, there's scenes where he's like zipping around and he looks kind of effortless. And there is a scene where it conks out and he's flying around too. Um, there's a pretty good splash page, though, where he and the Cobra guy are having an aerial combat scene and they're sort of shooting each other and then they're kind of duking out. And I, I, do, I do really like this splash page. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought I think it's, it's 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 well made and the, the you can the combat flows and you kind of get to it but uh, yeah definitely even at the end it kind of ends on the wink of uh, well hey you know it's like how are you gonna spend the rest of your R and R oh no thanks I've had all the rest of the relaxation I can stand you know <laughs> hey and then everybody freezes and then the credits roll and stuff so uh, <clears throat> it wasn't definitely an odd choice especially considering the dour. Um, ending of the previous issue, right? And uh, sometimes too, they would just run. Uh, they would run these issues just because they kind of felt like, well, this for an, you know, it's like a, it's like your hurricane rations. Mm-hmm. You have a fill-in issue, you keep it for a while, but even your hurricane rations run stale. So it's kind of like, well, I guess we should go ahead and eat these cans of beefaroni, right? And we'll buy some new ones. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> that's what it was because. Uh, the issue after this, which we'll cover in volume three, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, def. The whole issue is the repercussions yeah. of the last one. <laughs> this this was just a uh, turn your head, huh? Really? Wait, what happened? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. okay. So it's all good. But um, yeah, on yeah, but on the whole, uh, I, I I really enjoyed rereading these. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I did notice a few more cracks than I I noticed at the time. But uh, again, um, I think these hold up. I think these are better than what I think people now would expect them to be. I think they're a little more literate. Uh, mm-hmm. I think they're definitely... And again, <clears throat> there's a lot of character continuity. There's a lot of the little small uh, quirks and little moments uh, that the the characters have that he kept pretty constant. And um, I think that's really the most enjoyable. Um, even though characters got phased in and phased out, uh, you definitely got the idea of, oh, okay, that's, that's kind of how that guy behaved the whole time, and that's been the advantage of, uh, of Hama's run, you know, and, and continues to be since uh, he's been kind of, go- he's going back for the past couple of years now, he's been back with uh, IDW and doing, uh, 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 doing an expanded run based on his own continuity, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's fun, and, um, you know, it really picks up in Volume 3. So in order to get to Volume 3, you got to go through Volume 2. <laughs> But uh, Volume Two, uh, it, it does. It's that next step in the evolution of GI Joe. We need to see the His Tank, Major Blood, Destro. We need to see, um, you know, yeah, characters is, like Gung Ho and Wild Bill. Absolutely. This, this, like I said, this is season two. Now, mm-hmm. you know, it only goes the, the but this will be season two because, uh, and it makes sense too because if you in the next trade when it picks up, it definitely has that feeling of like of season premiere. 
mm-hmm. of a TV show, where it sounds like it's in the immediate ramifications of the previous one after a period of time, and we see some new characters. And the the third wave of characters, and it's no spoilers here, right off the bat we meet Roadblock and Duke mm-hmm. formally, and uh, they become sort of the main stalwarts of for a good chunk of the run. Which does unfortunately knock off uh, some others, but uh, we'll get to that later. But for the yeah. mo- for the most part, though, you know, if the, the first volume one was them trying to figure out an out, and this volume is definitely a really, it's a, re- it's my opinion, it's a constant rhythm, mm-hmm. you know. And whether you like it or not, uh, I think anybody who can see if they read through this, is like, well, it was stable. It was it was really stable, and everything just kind of flowed. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's up to you, or it's enjoyable or not, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would absolutely recommend these. I would recommend, if anything, I'd recommend this. Is it's again, it's a good way of kind of showing how writing under duress because because it, it was you just okay. Well, I've got all these rules as opposed to a, a standard cape comic where it's like all right, well things go from point A to point B to point C, and then eventually after a couple of years, I gotta bring it back to at least point B. Mm-hmm. Whereas this was kind of ongoing and just like, okay, you know, just got in a package. Here's the early schematics for, here's the new characters, here's the new figures. Right. And I'd love to sit down with Larry Hama, and I, hopefully in the next few weeks I will at, right. the, at the Tallahassee Comic-Con. And I really would just love to just, just talk to him about, the, yeah, these little dudes. Like, like okay, how, how much latitude did they give you? Like, how much didn't they give you? You know, like, how often did you, you know, did you get, you know, like, a package from um, from the company saying, all right, here's what we're rolling out. And uh, at what point did you just throw up your arms when, like, three years late, we're talking three years down the road from here in, like, the high, right before around issue 100 with Battle Force 2000 and... Well, in the hour the, and a the half. The guy, the guy looking like the baseball player who's literally, his job was he threw grenades because yeah. he was a baseball, former baseball player. Right. And you knew he was a former baseball player because he wore his baseball player uniform. Yeah, I know. But uh, in the hour and a half we've been discussing this, I mean, this was 10 months of continuity. Mm-hmm. In 10 months, you've got 10 issues in a comic book, but... I mean, that means, like, probably two to three different phases of toy lines come out, and the cartoons can go through how many episodes? <clears throat> like, this is a lot for... It's, it's a lot of challenges for everyone all around. Like, the toy company's like, hey, Larry Hammond, why haven't you introduced mm-hmm. this yet, or mm-hmm. that yet, you know? And it should be noted, too, that this was also the beginning of when it began to pick up. Not necessarily... There were... This was back in the day when, yes, kids would. Uh, you, you, I, I half these issues. I even though I was still shopping at a comic book shop, half these issues I still were buying off a of spinner rack. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you had both. You had uh, you had spinner rack kids who were, saw the cartoons and saw the uh, saw the toys. They were buying it out of curiosity, but also the standard comic book direct market guys were picking up, I think, out of curiosity and realizing, you know, this is actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. This is way better than I expected it to be. Uh, right. I think similar to what uh, Bill Mantlow did with Micronauts. And we see that about a year later when all of a sudden G.I. Joe starts go- getting up on the on Marvel Top 10. Mm-hmm. And even Marvel, in Marvel Age, Marvel even says, yeah, number nine was uh, G.I. Joe, I think in the low 20s. Like, yeah, they joked, oh, yeah, even we don't know where that happened. And then very quickly it began hitting mm-hmm. in the three and four slot, which is like just below X-Men and mm-hmm. Spider-Man numbers. Yeah. And back then, that was serious. We're not talking, nowadays a comic is successful if you do 20,000 uh, copies. Mm-hmm. We're talking 80, 
90,000 mm-hmm. copies sold. Yeah. Not returned, sold. Right. This, this, these, these were serious numbers back then. And of course, mm-hmm. it helped too that it was 75 cents. That helps. It helps <laughs> yeah. that you've got TV commercials promoting issues. <laughs> that doesn't hurt either. It was. Um, but you've got a toy line that people were interested in. You have a cartoon that's currently you know, being rerun. So yeah, there's a lot behind it. And honestly, if it wasn't for G.I. Joe, I wouldn't... Uh, for all intents and purposes, I was too old for toys. But I love the line so much, and I, uh, and I thought the toys were, at the time were such an advancement that I was buying them. I was more... I was... I could justify reading and buying comics. It was really weird for me to be like 14, 15 with my long metal hair and going into Richway and buying a G.I. Joe figure saying it's for my little cousin or my little brother Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. There was no adult toy collecting back then. Or if it does, if there actually I take that back, there certainly were. But it was underground. Mm -hmm. It was deep underground. But, uh, you know. So thank you for that. Sure. I, I think. <laughs> thank you, GI Joe, for helping me be the man I am. Oh, I don't know. I'll, I'll tell. I'll tell Ariyama in a few weeks. I'm like, boy, you know, you changed my life. So can you do me a favor? Can you change it back? Mm-hmm. All right, guys, that's I about can. it for this trade. Um, but yeah, I know it's been a while since our last episode, but believe me, more are coming. So stay tuned. Absolutely, and uh, thanks again for listening. Uh, and uh, Alan, thank you again for having me on. Let's. Uh, I got. A, I still got a whole stack at home. <laughs> we, we could go through some. Oh more. yes. All right. Take care. <laughs>